Hello and welcome to the Growing Through Dance podcast. I'm excited to bring you today the interview with Alex Fobster, who not only sings and dances while he acts, but also plays the instruments to accompany and enhance his performance. In musical theatre land, that's known as a muso, a quadruple threat. In part one of this interview, Alex discusses, after finding dance, how his nurturing and supportive upbringing gave him the space to be creative and play, leading him into the creative arts industry. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Catherine. How are you? I'm much better for the lovely sunshine today. (laughs) So, Alex, thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. As you know, the podcast is about how dance interacts with life. Dance itself has many advantages, skills and attributes. They don't all play into being a dancer. Quite a lot of them play into life itself. And really, these are the things we're looking at. But the way I want to, us to discuss this morning is to talk about your experience with dance and how it's led you to where you are today and the other things you may be doing besides dancing. What I'd ask you to do, first of all, is have a think back and think about recreational dance lessons. Why did you start them? When did you start them? And who dragged you along to them? Um, well Catherine well you were instrumental in a huge part of that as uh the listeners may not know but we'll get into later why did I start you know what my first dance lesson was kind of an accident because I was doing acting classes on a Saturday morning and I had two with like an hour and a half gap in between and I was going on a Saturday morning to this um school in Cobham where my family were living at the time in sort of Kingston upon Thames kind of way and yeah I had this hour and a half to kill and there was a jazz class that was happening in between the two acting classes and I basically took it up to fill the gap when I was about 11 or 12 and yeah I just I loved it and I started taking more classes and I started doing tap but I was sort of 11 or 12 so I'd started shooting up and I was doing tap in like the grade one or grade two class with these sort of tiny chip these like little girls mostly all like half my height and I was there with my like uh, really long hair at the time and was just sort of trying to get my feet around these um these tap steps way out of Asian stage but yeah I just kind of fell in love with it really and then took on more and more throughout the weeks and then when I was about 13 or 14 we moved out to Sirencester in the west country which is where we discovered you and CCDA and I started going to do basically every night of the week. (laughs) When you started, when you first came to CCDA, what was the the first type of dance lesson you did? I remember coming to a ballet class. And had you done any ballet before that or was this? I don't think I had done, yeah no I had done some ballet classes but again I I came to it really late and a lot of the time I think I was in my, my age group as opposed to my ability group. So the tap, I was with the, the little kids at my previous one, but I think I was, because it's tough, isn't it? When you're 12, oh, 13, you want to be with your age group. But if they've been doing it since they were five, you're just kind of that one floundering around the back, having no idea what you're what you're doing. And then here's what I remember. we did, You did a boys class. It was a boys mm-hmm. dance class. Yeah. And it was, you only had two boys at the time who were a lot older than me. Uh, I say a lot older, probably a few years, but when you're a teenager, that feels oh, yeah, like, massive you gap. know, they were yeah. 17 and I was 13 <laughs> and I was like, whoa, there were only three of us was the point. And I remember coming down to this boys class and it was probably the most 
attention I'd had to help develop me. And yeah, I remember really enjoying that one. And also then, because there were three kind of different ages and different abilities, it kind of pushes you up, which is something that I think is really important that we'll come on to with this tra- further training and stuff. Oh, yeah, I think, I think pushing yourself out of your depth and into situations where you are with people who are significantly more skilled than you, I think is, is really valuable. But yeah, I remember that boys class. So one of the things about dance is a lot of people tend to send their children off to dance for the social side of things as well. Did you find that was something was for you or were you by that stage really focused on the dance? Is and always has been really an important part, I think, of performing and life as a performer. At school, you are stuck with who is in your class or in your year group. And I had some really great friends that I made through school. But what I always found, especially at CCDA, was you were united by this commonality. And I kind of really felt like I found my tribe. You know, it was, um, you will remember this well, Catherine, uh, but I'll paint a picture for your listeners that I uh, showed up in Sirencester, 13 or 14, fully dressed out in the most extreme goth attire that anyone had ever seen in the town, I think. It was full length of the trench coat, platform boots, eyeliner, long hair down to halfway down my torso, black nail polish, whole thing. I used to pop my ballet shoes in my top pocket of my leather trench coat <laughs> and stomp through Sirencester Town Centre down to the Bingham Hall, take all of that stuff off, tie my hair back, do a ballet class, and then put it all back on and walk back through town. It was kind of, it was madness, actually, <laughs> and always kind of appreciated, I think, is that when I was doing dance and I was at CCDA and I was with those people, actually, I was completely myself in there. You know, it was, there wasn't any of that, oh yeah, he's got the, the spikes on and the goth or the eyeliner. Actually, it wasn't kind of about that. It was just about being there and sharing that. And then in those 15 minute breaks between classes or we were there all day on a Saturday, actually, those were some of the strongest relationships I formed in my teens, I think was in and around my CCDA community. So when you went on from us and you went on to start to train professionally, did you find that you still made those friendships or, you know, that there's always this uh, bit of a wives tale about everybody stepping over each other? Yeah. So I went, I went on to, I went to Arts Ed in West London. Yeah. So you said there's this wives tale about how cutthroat the performing industry is. I have personally never seen or experienced that at all. The thing about performing, right, is it's it's the hardest career you could possibly choose to go into. Absolutely. But we talk about being united by commonalities. Well, I said this before about finding my tribe. And actually, the thing that unites everyone in that building, whether they are a teacher or a student or an ex-student coming back to run a workshop or the person on the reception desk or, or whoever it is, you're all united by the fact that you can't you want to be there. You will love the work and you're there to to put the time and the effort and the love in. And actually everybody who's there to train has kind of signed up to this thing that you're going to be there for 10 hours a day and you're going to put everything you have into that five days a week for three years. It's really intense. You're in this sort of pressure cooker. And yes, sometimes feelings stir up and dramas happen and that's kind of an inevitable part of it. But I have never experienced it coming from a malicious place or somebody trying to step over somebody to get to the next place because you're all there to support each other through it is essentially what I've what I've always seen. 
and you're just united by this we're all kind of in it together and the staff are all there because they love it and they want you to be the best that you can be this myth about schools tearing you down to build you back up again or you know and, and all of that stuff and actually it's it's not about breaking you down it's about building you up and taking what it is that makes you unique and special and brilliant and figuring out how to amplify that and refine it and add to that skill set so that you can share whatever it is that you have to deliver in whatever format that is, if it's dance, singing, musical theatre, stand-up, spoken word. I don't know what, I've got people who I train with who've gone into so many different things, Mm -hmm. even though they trained in musicals. Yeah, you're just united by everyone trying to push forward creatively and build up what's brilliant about people. So I think that's what, is it particularly cutthroat? It's really difficult. (laughs) It's really hard. And it's really competitive in the sense that there are tens, hundreds of thousands of performers in the UK and not a lot of jobs for them. Yeah, it's, it's really hard, but I, I have personally never experienced anyone being outwardly malicious or, you know, people are generally just there to have a nice time and be nice to people, <laughs> I think is what I've found. Uh, and then do really good work, do good work. That's the end of the day, isn't it? Just everyone does good work and is nice to people. We all have a nice time. Coming from a small dance school and going off to arts ed, obviously there were distinct differences because suddenly you're training professionally rather Mm -hmm. than doing it for inverted commas fun. Is there anything that you would, if you were sending somebody off to school now, is there anything you would say to them about how to handle it, how to get the best out of it? I can only speak from obviously my own experience, really, because everyone... I do quite a lot of work with the outreach at said now, sort of going to do Q&As and workshops with students who are going to be auditioning. And sort of, it's a question that comes up a lot, yeah. kind of one, what are they looking for? And then two, how do you how do you handle it when you get there? Or how do you get the most out of it? And the reason I find it very difficult to answer is because it's so personal. Mm. Everyone is going to have their own take on it and their own challenges to overcome. I can speak about my challenges to, that I had to overcome is actually, I, I think there was a huge part of me that was quite insecure at the time that I went to college and I spent quite a lot of time. And actually we spoke about the goth thing before I spent mm. a lot of my teenage years and actually up into my early twenties kind of trying on, I'm going to say different hats, you yeah. know, I, I'm going to be this different person. Personalities, gonna, yeah. Different personalities, yeah. different. And actually, and that comes then with this flip side of somebody who was always quite worried about the judgment of their peers or the judgment of the staff or the teachers and and I was really desperate to try and do everything perfectly whereas actually the main piece of advice is it's absolutely fine and actually more beneficial to fail you're better off to go completely out there and fall flat on your mm. face than try and get it perfect because perfection is dull as actually as Chris Hocking who is the principal of art said as he always says you'll never find perfection if you want perfection go and be a physicist don't be an actor yeah. um so <laughs> yeah I spent way too much time worrying about being being perfect and you said about coming from a small a smaller dance school or a small place or whatever and what I thought was amazing, what I still value now looking back on it is when you go somewhere, as soon as you get to higher education and you have this suddenly this melting pot of people from all different backgrounds and experiences and you're there with people who've won all England championships and people who've never been in a dance class before mm-hmm. and you're completely there and all together just smashed into this year group like let's do this crazy thing for three years. And I remember being in my first ballet class and the head of dance uh, David Greenall at the time basically I'm not going to do the, there's an impression that we all do of him that I'm not going to do on the podcast but anyway he he basically said I bet you're all the big fish 
from your dance mm. schools, right? It was a boys' ballet class. So this was the boys' ballet. There's basically in first year you're in three sets. One one is the top dancers. One two is the sort of medium dancers, and one three are the people who might have never danced before. And one one and one two boys have ballet all together. And so these people with a bit of dance experience, and he said, I bet you are all the big fish from your dance school at home. I bet you were the lead in all the shows. I bet they all said you were great. Guess what? You're all here together now. It's completely irrelevant. Let's get to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, then, mm-hmm. and I'm hyper paraphrasing what that was, but it really stuck with me. And it was like, yeah, you're all the big fish. Welcome to the biggest pond there is. Let's go. And that was challenging as well, kind of changing your perception of who you thought you were in your in your immediate circle at home and then who you find yourself being or having to be or how you perceive yourself to be in that new environment can be really tough. And I think it's it's really interesting how it affects different people. Mm. Some people go inwards, some people go outwards. And I had a chat with a friend of mine the other day who I was talking about this level of insecurity that I remember feeling and his memory of me was completely the opposite he always felt like I was really self-assured and it's actually it's it was really interesting to have we literally had this conversation on Saturday and so I'm coming to you now going it's just interesting how you never know how people are perceiving you and yes it's this idea that actually I wish I had just cared less about everybody else and just focused on my stuff and doing the best that I could do in my little in my sphere and being present and focused and then when you do that, when you're really focusing on your work, you can then be generous with everyone else, can't you? You can oh, absolutely open it out. To, mm-hmm. And actually, then that's where the real magic happens. It's not about what you're doing. That's the lesson of all performing, isn't it? It's completely mm-hmm. relevant what you're doing. It's about the people opposite you on stage. And if you're by yourself, it's about what you're communicating. Looking back then on the sort of training that you've had in dance, what, what do you think are your major skills, apart from obviously the physical skills, but what do you think are the major skills that dance in particular has given you? I feel like I'm a creative person and there's this, I can't remember who said it, there's this quote that says the creative adult is the child who survived. Oh, right? Right. Uh, yeah. and so like, I can't remember who said it, but it's like really, I, I kind of hold on to that because actually children play easily, mm-hmm. unencumbered, imaginatively. It's something that we don't, often in society, we don't get a chance to do as adults. And what I felt like dance and performing helped me do was continue to play through my teens, through my twenties, into my adult life. And I, and we play, you know, we go into a rehearsal room and, and guess what? We're just like pretending to be people that we're not and just mucking about. And yeah, we're taking it very seriously and there's a craft attached to it, but gosh, it's just play. And so what I think the real thing, yeah. Okay. You've got the physical, can he do his double pirouette? Is mm-hmm. he going to, you know, sing his B flat or what? Yeah. All of that is kind of table stakes, right? But actually what is the real benefit is is the play it's that sense of of fun and wonder going okay today i am going to go into a room in Sirencester and i'm going to be peter pan's shadow for three hours and i'm going to take that really seriously and i'm and i'm going to explore that to the furthest it can be explored or then you take it on eight years later and you go okay today i'm going into a rehearsal room and i'm going to spend four hours on my knees pretending to be a little elf in christmas town and i'm going to take and I'm going to play and I'm going to be able to have that part of myself that opens up, explores that and makes a creative choice and, and forms interesting connections between, between an idea and its execution and then figure out a way that might be entertaining to an audience and therefore become something marketable or whatever. But then we're going beyond play. That's then into the business of it. I'm talking mm-hmm. about what skills does dance give you? Dance performing any of it, it strengthens those connections between the inner between that inner child that's kind of always desperate to get out and it gives it an outlet. And I think that's so important in a world where everybody 
in any position of authority. The government is saying the arts is completely irrelevant. We'll cut drama from the curriculum. Nobody needs that. Actually, everybody needs it. We all need so much more of it. Any opportunity to play and be free can only benefit a human and the sort of well-being of a human, not, a, not even in a performing sense, but it's just so liberating. And, it's really, and yeah. it really helped with the mental health balance in your life as well? I can't speak to that, I don't think, really. I, mental health is an interesting one. It's a big topic at, at mm. the moment. I think it's an important conversation to be had having. Do I think it's good for... Yeah, I guess I'm not somebody who's ever particularly struggled with my mental health, and I don't know if that is a product of maybe always having places that I can express myself mm. and places that I can feel myself and not feel squashed or encumbered to feel free. You know, I've always had spaces that I feel free in, and I can I can play. And- so you, I, I do know something about a conversation we had a long time ago about you, uh, your actual schooling at that at that point that you had had the luxury, I'm going to call it at the moment of being allowed to play your guitar at school. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and spend time on on guitar lessons. Do you think that you were given lots of space as a child, part of your, the way in which you've been brought up or or nurtured by your your upbringing? Yeah, I, I will say that I think that has a huge part to play in it, actually, that any... Any opportunity that I wanted to take, if I wanted a guitar, if I wanted to go into dance lessons or, or whatever, it was facilitated by my parents. They kind mm-hmm. of went, you know, and there was no, especially as a boy in the early 2000s, you know, I, I had a lot of friends who thought that dancing was sissy, was for girls, whatever. And my family are not that way. And it was always accepted. You know, my mum was thrilled I was taking dance lessons, but it was always accepted encouraged and pushed but whatever it was whether it was okay yeah we'll get you a drum kit and we'll put up with you drumming (laughs) right or and actually just this is not dance related but so a lot of my work now I work as an acting musician uh shows where the cast sing and play but I remember my first when I got my first guitar I was probably 11 and you've got that traditional guitar that you can if you somebody if a kid wants to play an electric guitar you get them that sort of maybe a Squire Stratocaster, that traditional electric guitar shape, oh, yes. probably yeah. in red, mm. you know, with a little amp, practice amp, you do that. There was a signature guitar hanging next to the that entry-level guitar on the wall by, I think it was Paul Stanley, and it had this, this pointy, and it was like a flying V, but really jagged, and it was like black and red sparkly. Actually, it was only about 15 quid more. It wasn't like it was a super expensive model. It just, it looked so heavy metal and Mm. rock and roll. And I said, I want to play that one. And it was like, (laughs) nobody buys a kid who's never played a guitar before. Mm. Even though it's not about the money, it's just about, I remember my dad going, you can't go into a guitar lesson having never played a guitar before with that ridiculous instrument. And I said, yes, I can. I need it. I want that guitar. Actually, I sat in my room and I played that guitar for hours and hours and hours because I was desperate to play it because I couldn't, mm. it couldn't let it sit there and not be, and I couldn't pick it up and not be good at it because that would be so embarrassing, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it did. It let me space yeah. to play and, and you know, mm. it was facilitated by, if I wanted to go to, I remember going to a hip hop class on a Thursday, you know, hip hop dancing Cobham, that, you know, it was the only class that was happening and yeah, guess what? They, my mum and dad drove me back and forth to mm. there because it was, a really important place for me. I didn't really get on that well at school. School was not a, a 
fantastic environment for me you know and actually the the acting and the dance and the singing and all of that stuff was really my place to be who I was always going to be which is me now you know I think that was really important you need to be able to explore everything you want to explore as a kid right that's just the you know you want to go and do tennis camp or you want to go and shoot hoops on a basketball court or you want to go and paint or you want to mm-hmm. dance or you want to sing and just finding those those spaces is really important that it's safe to do that and to play and and to fail <laughs> and, uh, and and to and learn find the things that you are good at hopefully or or not so much good at that make you feel fulfilled yeah, that make you fulfilled, exactly. And even if you don't end up doing it professionally, you've, you've done that and it's given you something that you don't even know what it's given you. It's given you that creative freedom or that insight into something else that's, that's just going to enrich you as a human being, surely. The more experiences we can have, the better. Performing in shows and, and what CCDA and dance gave was an opportunity to explore all those different lives. Talking of that, is there anything in particular you can think about uh, a story perhaps of, of any performance that you did, which we can share with the audience? You know, maybe there was a funny situation happened on stage, backstage, out of the festival, in a park, I don't know, anywhere. Can you think of anything in particular that stands out in your mind? We did so many shows at CCDA, Catherine. We used to do that yearly big show. We do number yeah. after number. I remember being, we did that number from Hairspray once. Do you remember I did oh, Edna, yeah. Yeah. I did Edna Turnblad in these little kitten heels I got from a charity shop. <laughs> yeah, uh, we did so much. And I think all of those is really important. I just think it's so important, you know, from from doing those to choreographing a number from 42nd Street. Oh gosh, I hope that doesn't exist anywhere because I bet it was atrocious. But it you probably st- does. <laughs> but you still, we did it, right? We were there and we did it and we played and explored it. Um, I remember it was the last year that I was, I think I said, I must have been 17. This is the sort of thing I'm talking about that I did a solo number in the CCDA show, a solo tap routine to the Knights of the Round Table from Spamalot, the Monty Python yeah. musical. And it was this sort of, this sort of crossover between all these things that I loved. I loved comedy and Monty Python. I loved tap. I loved performing. I love, And so I, at 17 years old, had this opportunity to just create this two minute thing that was this crossover between all these things that I love and then put it on stage in front of people and do it and own it. I think just that sort of experience, it must be, it's just so important for people to be able to just be themselves and do things like that. That's so that's one that I remember. Yeah, I remember being, I remember feeling really proud of that. And that's a really great feeling, I think, to have as a, as a teenager doing something creative. I'm really proud of that. And I, yeah, I remember feeling really proud of that and looking back on it, like what a, what a great opportunity for an individual to have to create something and put it out there. I think that's one of the things when you go on professionally, you realise saying being this big fish in your smallest school that you do have all these opportunities going on, which are not necessarily going to come your way again professionally, depending on how things go. Thank you, Alex. We now look forward to part two of this episode, which will be out later this week. In part two, he discusses being a professional performer and how his creativity has supported his career choices. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please remember to follow, subscribe and share your experience. Growing Through Dance is now on all major platforms and being heard in over 50 countries. Your support means such a lot to me and it's so good that we can get the stories of dance out there and how it helps in life. Let me know what else you'd like to hear. Contact me via Instagram at Growing Through Dance Pod or follow the new Facebook group Growing Through Dance Podcast for all regular updates, dance growth advice, industry news and general dance discussion. 
If you have any stories you'd like to share, please contact me via a direct message on either social platform. Thank you for listening today. Your host, Catherine Lucy. Thank you.